Well, we're on uh, episode 15. Um, yeah, it's been a ride. I, uh, you know, I, I've been kind of on my personal content, you know, at, at this point, maybe dealing more with, with relationships and specifically being single and, and these types of relationships. And I wanted to kind of do these things together um, so that they kind of sync, you know, in my next one. I wanted to talk about is, is the attachment process and specifically anxious, secure, and avoidant attachment. But I, I felt strongly to to talk about this subject with with everything happening with the holidays coming on. You know, and a lot of times these can be a very exciting time. I have uh, wonderful memories of the holidays. Um, when we're alone, they sometimes are the opposite. You know, they can serve as a reminder of what we once had or a reminder of what we've never had. And, you know, statistically, seasonal depression is a real thing. Um, uh, overdoses, suicides, they all are higher this time of year. And so I wanted to talk about something I'm, I'm very familiar with, which is, which is loneliness, you know. And the title of this is Grief, uh, Nature's Most Powerful Aphrodisiac. I'll, at the end of it, talk about the way grief works as far as leaving us susceptible and what it does to our hormones. But I want to just, you know, talk about loneliness in general, what I think are some misconceptions with it, and, and you know, ways I've able to work through it and to, to deal with it. But like I said, you know, I, I talk with my therapist. I talk with him every week. He's in Louisiana, so we Skype, right? And I turned 41, you know, this, this Saturday. And just in general, I, I said, you know, I think I've learned to not attach significance to certain events that don't need added significance, meaning I'm 41. I don't need to worry about where I'm at at 41. To be honest, I really could care less about how old I am. I'm, I'm just, I'm glad I got here um, and still alive. So, and I like my life now, but you know, uh, I've thought in years past, if I don't, I can view Christmas as Christmas and the birth of Christ and this and that, or I can view it like like this year, I don't have my kids, which is not fun. And so I'm like, if I don't place a certain significance on it, maybe it won't have as much of an effect on me. And he's like, well, Caden, <laughs> We've been doing this dance for five years, he and I, and, and some, of my, some of my best Einstein decisions were in the winter. And, you know, I think there is, uh, in my opinion, some relevance to, you know, whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever it is, you know, trying not to assign too much meaning to it to where it creates feelings of loneliness or regret or, or, or these unpleasant feelings. But at the same time, acknowledging that, you know, these types of uh, these times of years can be hard, you know, coming in, in into the into the holidays. You know, there's other reasons for what they call seasonal depression. You know, the weather obviously can cause issues. Seattle has one of the highest rates of suicide and everyone is fairly familiar with it. Well, there's just not a lot of sunlight. Well, just in general, and I hate the cold weather, by the way, I, I hate being cold. Um, but you don't get sunlight, your body gets a lack of vitamin D, vitamin D3. So 
supplementing that vitamin can help with, with seasonal depression as well. You know, sometimes in the wintertime, if, if you're like me, I, I hate the cold. I work in the cold, so I'm forced to work into it. But a lot of us do not get the exercise that we normally get, which is going to stimulate our natural dopamine production as well as other things and, and help us feel better. So, you know, there's, there's certain things we can do. But, you know, when I, when I first got single, you know, the, the prevailing thought I heard from people was you've got you've to learn to love to be alone. Um, that's something that I, I absolutely disagree with. Um, I, I do not love being alone. And, you know, the only times I have loved being alone is when I was in situations where I hated my circumstances in the world. And then I loved being alone, but it usually wasn't good that I was alone. Now, I'm not saying that it's bad if certain people do love being alone. I'm just not there. You know, it's, it's interesting. For the life of me, I can't watch a movie by myself right now. And for a long time, I thought that was a problem. And, and, and you know, now I just realize I like to connect, right? I'll watch one if I have someone I can watch one with and kind of talk and, and you know, but I crave connection. And, you know, so loving to be alone can have some, some major implications there. I, I'm pretty sure, you know, one of the best torture methods that people will use to get confessions and punishments in prison is isolation, right? Putting in someone a hole or depriving someone from talking to other people. We thrive on connection. Now, if it's unhealthy connection, we don't thrive on that. But as far as that genuine healthy connection, I believe that is the most powerful agent of change that we have in this life. Uh, the most powerful is with our Father in Heaven and His Son, Jesus Christ. But those connections, for reasons known to them, we don't always feel so strong. And you know, and some of us don't believe in that anyway, but I know a lot of people that still feel that same type of connection that they describe when they go in nature, right? Or, or, or when they do certain things. And so as long as they're feeling that authentic connection, you know, it, it definitely helps people. But you, you, you look at mass shootings, uh, you know, we've had two, atrocities this week, uh, you know, by and large, most of the time, the common component with people that get to that point is a lot of isolation. People, you know, are alone, you know, and now we have this digital world that can create counterfeit connection at any turn. Pornography is a glaring example, right? We can experience all the joy and everything, at least we think we are, at the touch of a computer we don't have to deal with all the headache of dealing with another human being and this and that you know there, there, there's there's case studies of people that have gotten in online relationships and they haven't known the person for years but they get immersed in this world where it you know tries to replicate actual human to human interaction and everything else loses relevance. They describe not even feeling real. Uh, Elder Bednar, an apostle for the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, gave a wonderful talk called Things As They Really Are. It's, it's fascinating how he talks about those things, and I love that. If you want to find it, you can YouTube it, and it will come right up. You know, and, and I can certainly understand why this thought was said, hey, you got to learn to be alone. You know, if you're single, especially if you're here in Utah, if you get on Facebook and you start to get within these friends groups, there is always something to do. 
you know, there's always something to do. And for me, when I first got divorced, it was, it was, I was so grateful for it because I needed it. You know, I, I have felt loneliness uh, many times. You know, when I, the, the night I got divorced, we didn't, we thought it was going to be 90 days at the time. There was typically a 90 day period before you'd get divorced. And I didn't think by any way, shape or form that they would uh, shorten that to 30. Well, they did. We call up one day to see what's going. I find out I'm divorced. And the next night I'm by myself in a little basement apartment. And I have all of this hurt of, of missing my family. And, and I really don't know any single people and I don't know what to do. And uh, it led me to some really bad decisions to numb that pain. And so getting plugged into what, what people call the, the uh, LDS single scene was a godsend for me. And, you know, another time I'll do an episode on that, that scene because I think it has wonderful parts and it has parts that are extremely toxic, but that's the same with about any organization there is, right? But it gave me a way to connect. Everyone that I know that is single, mostly, not all, but mostly derive from some sort of connection that way. And so I'm grateful for it. And you know, at the time I wasn't ready to process all my stuff. I just wasn't ready for it. What I needed was connection. What I needed was to feel like I was desirable. And, and it gave me a way to do things. But I, 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 I yeah. You know, I, I, I still like attention, but not like I used to. And sometimes I, I, guess, I, I guess I like attention from people I want it from. I, I don't just like mass attention anymore. But at the time, I sure did. And for you guys that know me, that knew me when I first got divorced, you know, I was, uh, I, I was, uh, you know, I still have elements of it, but I, I was to everything all the time. Wanted to be the loudest person in the room, wanted to go dance like an idiot, just, you know, whatever I could get. And for a while, that was helpful for me. But eventually, you know, I, I, I see these things they can serve as a distraction, right? Because when we're alone, it can be painful. And certain things I think we have to be alone to work through, at certain points at least. And I see a lot of people that cannot handle being alone because their mind typically is gonna shift to what they don't have accomplished or what they're ashamed about or you know what, what they think they're not living up to in life and it will drive them wild. And so I see people just constantly going to stuff all the time. And uh, you know, for me, it was good for a while and then it wasn't as. At this point, I don't really care. I don't care if I'm associated with singles. I don't care. If I wanna go to something, I'll go. If I don't, I'll don't. And sometimes I would rather stay home by myself at night, and sometimes I would rather go. But this idea that we have to love to be alone, it goes against everything that I've learned in psychology, everything I know. You know, I, I know a lot of people that talk about being empaths, and I'm not saying people aren't, but I know some people that thought they were empaths, and, uh, you know, they went to a lot of therapy because the way they would describe it to me is, I'm in a social setting and I'm absorbing all this energy of all these strangers and stuff and it's too much and I can't stand it. And I'm like, well, that, that doesn't sound very fun. 
And, you know, I'm not going to speak to whether that's true or not because I, I don't absorb that that way at all. And I certainly wouldn't feel qualified of saying that people aren't that way. But I do know situations where people thought that was the case. Well, what had happened actually was they had developed what's called agoraphobia. They had been isolated for a certain amount of time or something else had happened and they had a fear of being in a public place. Or they had such a pronounced sense of conflict or a fear of conflict that they could not be around a group of people and sense that even someone in the room or a stranger was unhappy or had bad intentions and it would affect them so much. Well, after therapy and dealing with that stuff, they, not, they don't call themselves impasse anymore. In fact, they can go around different situations and be happy there. So, you know, it's just something that I would, I would ask people as is, is they say that. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that people don't have that gift. That's not what I'm saying at all. But does it serve you? Is it fun? And if it's not fun, if it's keeping you from connecting, it might be something to look into. Maybe it's a big fear of conflict. Maybe there's some codependency involved. Maybe if I work on these things, I won't have to guard myself or do these things. But in general, I'll just be able to enjoy the people that I want to be around. And if they're strangers and this and that, they're not going to have much of an effect on me. But that's, you know, that's how I've always kind of been. But, you know, this idea of connection is interesting. If we talk about addiction, you know, when you really need to worry about an addict, and, you know, I'm recovering addict, but you need to worry about when we isolate. That's what I tell my friends. When I stop answering, when I isolate, I get in a dangerous place, right? A few years ago, a few states started the decriminalization of drugs, and I don't think a lot of people understood what they were doing, but, uh, the, you know, it wasn't saying drugs are legal, they are decriminalized, but the war on drugs has failed terribly. Drug use is higher than ever. We are incarcerating people that are busted with marijuana, you know, a few times and it's not helping. The punishment model for addiction does not work very well. Don't get me wrong, when people are on certain drugs, I'm not against that. I think harsh stuff can work. Obviously, if you get under the influence and you, you do certain things or hit someone when driving or this or that, you gotta pay some consequences there. But Portugal did a, did a little thing. It was back in 2001. And th there's a video you can YouTube, it's called uh, Addiction Connection, it's a little video. There's also a guy that gave a TED talk, his first name is Johan. I'll post the link to the little clip. In 2001, they had one in 100 people that were addicted to heroin and 80 deaths. That's one in 100 people, that is epidemic. That, that that's you know staggering to think about that and so the government got together and they came up with a radical idea radical they said we're gonna legalize all drugs and we're gonna take all this money that we've been using to enforce and punish and all this and instead we're gonna take that budget and we're gonna put it into helping addicts helping them connect with people helping them feel loved, giving them something to do. Well, from 2001 to 2012, the death rate went from 80 to 16, and the people addicted, the number of addicts, went from 100,000 in half to 50,000. The opposite of addiction is connection. 
You know, in, in my use, I was always trying to, and I didn't realize this is what I was doing, but I was always trying to replicate authentic connection through synthetic means, and it just didn't work. Today, when I'm struggling, when I'm down, when I authentically connect with someone, there's a feeling, right? There's a light there that I just, I, I can't replicate any other way. And so, you know, this, this, I've referenced this before, but in the book, A Boy That Was Raised by a Dog, there's, there's a story about a kid in a Russian orphanage that was raised like he was a dog until he was, I think, 12 or so. Um, so he's brought to this, this doctor, Dr. Perry. Um, he's phenomenal in what he does with children. And uh, he had the skills of a seven-year-old. So eventually, the way they healed him is they put him in, in a first-grade class with kids his age because whatever the trauma really starts is the brain stops developing right and, and it, he prepped the kids and said he's different befriend him all that stuff he said they ended up healing him those first graders did what he you know someone who's the, the, probably the best in his field could have never done because of connection reaching out for people you know, filling that feeling of, uh, you know, no expectation, no ulterior motives, no deception, just two people, whether it's romantic, whether it's platonic, whatever it is, saying, hey, I care about you, you know? I used to think drugs created the most powerful connection, right? You get on amphetamines, you can talk, right? You get on hallucinogenics, you, know, you, you, you can just connect. And I'm not totally against hallucinogenics, and I'll talk about them another time, but I don't need a substance to connect. And I've taken 18 hits of acid. I, I tried mushrooms when I was 15 years old. I, I've taken just about every hallucinogenic there is. Being clean, clear-headed, I have felt deeper connection than I've ever felt. And, you know, it's, it's, it's helped me so much. But, I, you know, I, I think about a few times in my life when I isolated. You know, I talk about in, in my story, in my early episodes, you know, after I lost everything, I ended up working for a company that uh, was the same type of company that I owned, right, a pest control business. And it really did save my life, but it was very difficult because everything I ha saw was a reminder of what I had. And one day my uh, buddy came to visit me and um, he owned a business. He came in from Houston. He was talking to the owner of the business and I was the manager. They were talking owner talk and I, it devastated me. It devastated me. And you know, I, after I, I, I went into mania and I did all these things that, that caused me to lose the business and stuff, I went through a two or three-year period, I was almost non-existent on social media. That's not always a bad thing, by the way. I did not connect with people, and my use was rampant. It, it, just, it just was rampant. So at this time, you know, we, we, we never really know who, who is hurting. And, you know, this loneliness, this feeling, this grief is powerful. And it's palpable. It's easy to exploit as well. You know, the title of this grief, uh, Nature's Most Powerful Aphrodisiac, this clever title I did not make up. It's actually from the movie Wedding Crashers. <laughs> Will Ferrell says it when he's crashing funerals. He is uh, 
manipulating women when they've lost their loved ones in order to sleep with them. I don't even think it's funny anymore. I just don't find humor in it. But grief is nature's most powerful aphrodisiac. When we are hurting, when we are sad, and when we are alone, whether you're an actor or not, your brain goes to what will take away the pain immediately. And sexual gratification is the go-to in these situations. I've already talked at length about the ways in my last episodes, the manipulations that men can use in order to get women. I will have a woman on that will talk about vice versa. But we are vulnerable during this time. We are vulnerable when we are hurting, and people can see that. And we are more prone to make bad decisions. We are more prone to connect with people we normally wouldn't connect, to shift our vows and drop because we don't want to feel that loneliness. You know, and it's, it's, it's not an easy thing. I, uh, you know, I get so much interesting feedback on what I'm doing, but, you know, one is, well, you, you've certainly made yourself, uh, by saying you haven't dated forever and you're picky at Target, well, maybe, you know, if I'm trying to get healthy and I'm trying to do what God wants me to do and that happens to make me more attractive, hey, that's a good byproduct. That's not my intention here. I only care about the one. That's all. But also getting on here and sharing everything about my life and talking about my struggles with addiction. Yeah, I, I also, guess what? A, a good portion of females are so traumatized, they probably will never, they like me, but will probably never go there. I don't care. Don't blame them. Again, the right situation with the right one will work. But, you know, is is I, I talk about my, my process, and I, I digress a little bit. The reason I bring this up is, I spent a lot of nights alone after my last relationship. I, I, I needed to heal. And, you know, obviously the, the woman I did for one reason or another didn't work out. And I'm sure blames were in both places or maybe not even brain, but connection. But I had to kind of shift and realize and, and figure out, you know, what I, what I wanted, what I was attracting. And I had to spend quite a bit of time alone. And it wasn't isolation. It wasn't completely alone. I still talked to people, but there was a period where I didn't go out to anything, and I just turned to God. And it was extremely painful. You know, but for me, there, there was this understanding that, hey, I want to find, I want to find my person, right? This, this life is, is, it's, you know, it's too short to spend alone and too short to be with people you don't want to be with. And, you know, if I'm entertaining the wrong situation, I doubt the right situation isn't going to come. Well, I've, I've talked about this already, but, you know, it, it's produced a lot of lonely nights. A lot. And they haven't been easy. You know, and I've talked in late with my therapist about this. And I'm like, I just, it's, it's wearing, right? And, uh, you know, one day he said something very interesting to me. He said, Kate, you don't, you're choosing to be alone. Some people don't make that choice, but you're choosing to. You could have a girl over, you could go on a date if you wanted to. You're choosing to be alone. I think you're making the right choice, but you're choosing to heal. And so if you can shift that from I'm lonely to I'm preparing, it helped a little bit, right? 
each night I would, you know, lay in my bed alone and this and that. I was busy doing prep work. I was busy doing prep work. And, you know, if, if you're single or if you have your kids half the time and single or whatever, you have a special opportunity. You have a certain period of your time where you can work on yourself without the expense of anyone else. Like I have my kids half the time, so that other half I do my business and stuff, but my time I'm working on myself, it doesn't interfere with anyone else. When I get married, it, it, it still is important, but it will come at the detriment of, you know, time with my wife or different things like that. We have this valuable time to heal. And, it, you know, the last little bit after some very painful experiences, I, I just decided, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the most of it and put, put this time in here. But grief is powerful, powerful. You know, I, I have just, I, I, I kind of shut off, I think, the sexual part of my brain, um, which has been good in a way, because it, it doesn't serve me, right? I, I tell guys, like, I am, uh, got such a tolerance to pretty women. I've been going to the gym for so long that, uh, you know, one, I, 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 I'm not the type that just sits and stares anyway, but two, I just see it all the time. So it, I, my head isn't turned as much, but part of that is by design. Part of it is I don't think objectifying people is good. Another part of it is if I'm not looking to have sex, then what good is it going to do me to get turned on? Well, another part is I, I'm not looking at pornography, looking to masturbate. So it's just it's just frustrating to me if I, you know, I, I want to turn those things on. Well, this... You know, when, when I got divorced, I thought, this is going to be extremely hard not to be with my kids part of the time. That's what kept us married for three years longer than when we probably both were ready, right? But I thought, eventually, I'll acclimate. It's going to be hard not having someone. Eventually, I'll acclimate, and it won't be so hard. Well, the, all, the opposites happened. The healthier I've gotten, the harder it is. To see my kids go. The harder it is to n not have them some nights. The more pronounced I get of realizing how much I want the right person with me. And how much it would complete me. And I think that's a good thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. I had to get to where that pain didn't cause me to make bad decisions. But I think it's a good thing because the, the constant stimulation isn't doing it anymore. I, I, I do love to go out and hang out with my buddies, you know, and I end up hanging out with my friends that are girls and go do stuff. It, it definitely is a very important part of me. But I was talking to my buddy the other day and he just got out of a relationship and, you know, he's like, I just God, I kind of wish someone would come and take that place. And I'm like, you know, I just don't know if I know. At the moment, at least, I, I, I can't really think of a situation where I would have a girl over, or obviously I would have already, that would have helped me feel not lonely when it comes to that situation, that whole, right? The whole that I have in my heart from not having the, the, the woman in my life. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's produced some alone time. But for me... It's been absolutely necessary. It's been necessary to heal and to, to do these things to, you know, prepare for that. But 
This last weekend was interesting. You know, I was down in Fillmore, and the reason I bring up the not objectifying all this stuff is that, you know, I haven't looked at pornography in a long time. You know, at this point, if I was going to go there, it would, it would be with someone. It, it just, God took it from me. And thank God he did, because that is a brutal one. If you're struggling with it, my heart goes out to you. If you know someone that's hurting, my heart goes out to you. I will when I start delving into addiction, which is going to be a long time for me. Not a long time, but a, a lot of episodes I will talk about pornography, um, how I got through it, how it works, how to deal with people that deal with it. I, I do think it is the scourge of you know, our, our, uh, our century, and I think it's Satan's most powerful tool. But, you know, I... I, I got on TikTok. I, I don't use TikTok much. I, I'm trying to. My little brother is running this this endeavor, you know, on shorter clips. And really, I'm just trying to drive traffic to share my message with people in hopes they'll help. I have no ambitions or desires to be a TikTok star. And, and not that that's bad. My brother's very proficient and very well known on TikTok. There's an episode I did with him, Discovery Deadlift, where he's helping tons of people. You know, for me, it's just trying to bring people to this message but I was I was down and you know visit my family and I just I was sad more sad than normal and uh, I figured out how to scroll through TikTok I'd never really messed with it you know so I'm looking through and I like I like the sports stuff and I start to see fitness things and and women and hardly any clothing this and that and like when I'd see it I'd turn it off and then I'd get bored I had nothing to do uh, I could have had stuff to do, but I just wasn't doing constructive things. So there's this pull to go back and start looking at this stuff again. And, you know, it, it didn't, I don't even think I got to where I objectified it, but I caught it. That's a slippery slope. That's a slippery slope because it started to take away my pain and my loneliness because grief is nature's most powerful aphrodisiac. And all of a sudden I realized, man, I got a libido. I didn't think I had one. Well, I have one. But my new role is no reels on social media, you know, and also an understanding that I'm not above or I'm, I'm a man and have these desires and need to be careful with it. Well, if you're hurting and, you know, in the single world, us divorced people, we tend to try and monopolize the pain, right? Well, I've been single for six years, and I've dealt with a lot of pain and heartache in six years. And I can't imagine going my whole life and dealing with failed dates and nothing working out. Pain's relative. That's just as hard. But for you people that have not been married, that are still putting forth the best effort and just trying to, you know, be upstanding like, you amaze me. You, you, you men in my faith that continue to come and, and live strong in your faith, and, and in, not even just in my faith, but in your convictions in general, whatever they are, you know, that, that's incredible to me, by the way. I have two little kids that <laughs> are my anchor babies that I needed to help me and save me. My point is, that's loneliness. That sadness, divorce is sadness. Being in a marriage that's horrible, or one that's struggling or abusive, that is all sadness as well as a bunch of other things. 
Well, we're the most prone to make bad decisions during that time. When, you know, when we're first divorced and when we're hurting, we want to feel desired. And what happens? We have someone make us feel good for a minute and uh, we may give ourselves to them when really we don't want to or we may ignite these sexual passions without you know feeling safe which creates more oxytocin you know I talk about the the physiology of that in uh, my other episode the myth of friends with benefits but you know I've, I it does not make you feel better right we're looking innately within us I think all of us have that longing if we're honest even though we've been traumatized this and that maybe we don't want it anymore because we've been so traumatized we don't even want to entertain having someone that could, might be able to fill that hole because of the pain they might inflict but I think we all most all of us you know want that we we want to fill that so if, if, if you are looking to, you know, take that pain and manipulate it during this holiday season, that kind of stuff kills people. People commit suicide now. This toying around with sexual powers um, and, and stuff when people are in pain is deadly and selfish. And when you care about someone, you just don't do it. Well, it's not easy, but I've certainly been there, and I know plenty of people who have, and, you know, we are very lonely, and we go wherever we feel like we should. The next day, the next person's gone, and we're left to feel worse and worse. At this time, people were suffering in ways that we don't understand. A while back, I learned what real loneliness was. I uh, you know, go dancing all the time at this uh, this little country dancing place you know western swing's been one of my saving graces um my dad would be so proud by the way um and there was a gal there and i'd seen her week after week just standing on the dance floor and never being asked to dance and this is when i first started this but i'm i'm amazed how many men because usually it's men who ask will only ask certain girls to dance and you know I went and I asked her to dance, and she knew me, and, and she said, Cade, this is the first time in four months someone has asked me to dance. That's loneliness I couldn't comprehend. It broke my heart. That's loneliness. And ever since, I've, I've made a concerted effort to, to look for that, right? To ask God to to help me to see those people, you know, at this time. We we rarely know what people are going through. And if someone is uh, dealing with depression or even anxiety and stuff, you can probably count on that, hey, at this time it's probably amplified. She was not choosing loneliness she was trying to get out and she was week in and week out watching men ask the same women to dance and passing her by my favorite things to do are to dance with people that haven't had an opportunity to dance and to teach people to dance that don't know how i don't i hear a lot of women that are like oh this guy guys are getting frustrated because i don't know how <laughs> okay <laughs> i think it's fun 
to teach people stuff to do that they don't know how to do. But that's real loneliness. I have certain sized holes in my heart. The biggest is a God-sized hole. And you know, when you have a God-sized hole in your heart like I've had, and you try to fill it with drugs, or women, or spending, or gaming, or fantasy football, whatever, it won't stay filled. Because it's a God-sized hole. The only thing that can fill a God-sized hole is God. That's my saving grace, is that I'm never truly alone. However, part of this mortal life, He lets me certainly feel like I'm alone. That's when the growth is. When I don't feel Him, when I feel forsaken, if I continue to follow how and do what I think He wants me to, that's when I grow. That's when real character's tested. Well, I've got different holes, right? I've got a hole that's been missing. Yeah, uh, God was telling the truth when He said it's not good for man to be alone. It is hard. It's it's you know it's hard if you've never had it. It's hard if you have and you don't. It's 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 difficult. It's also hard having it if you don't want it. That's a different hard. I, I understand that one as well. But I've I've heard therapists tell people, well, you know, this is my healthy relationship with my husband, like. I like him, but I'll be okay without him. I don't need him. Well, I understand the principle there um, where codependency would be involved. Um, I would just fall totally apart. But, I, you know, I tend to disagree to an extent with that one. I have not found my person, but my hope is that it would be devastating to not have her. I wouldn't go nuts. I wouldn't forsake everything I believed in. I wouldn't go wild and relapse and all that, but it would be devastating. I think together we're stronger than alone. You know, I think there's power. Satan works in secrecy. A lot of people wonder about confession, right? Why? Well, you know, in, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we talk to a bishop. They have confession in the Catholic Church, you know. Different, different religions will do this. Well, for me, I, I think there's a couple reasons, but there's a certain humility attached with, with doing it. But also the moment we share our pain um, with someone that's equipped to handle it, not a trauma bonding situation where they're in just as much or more pain, the power is lessened because we connect, because that's what we are born to do is we're born to connect. Connection heals. This holiday season, there are opportunities all over to help people. I always have a little cash on me. You know, I, and you, everyone has an opinion on this, I don't mind giving a little money to homeless people. I understand that they may spend it on different things here and there. I don't really uh, concern myself with what they spend it on. Um, an alcoholic, by the way, if they don't drink, um, they eventually will go into uh, seizures and probably be thrown into an ambulance anyway, and um, then we'll be paying for the hospital bill because they can't afford it if they're homeless. But I'm not going to get into that. But what really means something to those people, and I've had plenty of friends that were homeless in recovery, is to feel seen, to feel like they're a person because they get dehumanized. 
Last year I went with a good buddy of mine to take blankets to a homeless camp. And I, I had never done that and I had ideas of what I would probably see, you know, addiction running rampant, people that, you know, had lost all dignity and everything. Well, I decided I was going to engage with people, right, and talk with them. And to me, I'm no better than that person or anyone else. But I saw a couple. And he was, he was picking out blankets. He was picking out blankets for uh, his girlfriend. And man, did they love each other. They were happy. They were happy. And it kind of rocked me, and it, it made me a little emotional, but I would have never thought that would be happening in a homeless camp when it's getting freezing outside and food is scarce and they probably have lost a ton of their dignity. No, they, you know, there was that connection between two people that I could tell were fiercely loyal and loved each other. And to see that happen in, of all places, a homeless camp, it, it just instilled in me how important that is. The Savior of mankind was acquainted with loneliness. You know, foxes have dens. The Son of Man hath no place to lay his head. He is despised and rejected of men, and we hid it as our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. The Son of God, who gave everything with everyone, was rejected by most and understood loneliness on a level that none of us will ever comprehend. Oh, he understands your loneliness because he felt your loneliness. And he can succor you. Why am I doing this? Because Jesus Christ has saved my life. I've, I felt that loneliness. I felt that anxiety of waking up in the moment my eyes open. Anxiety just tears through my body. And the only reprieve I felt like I had to sleep. And he's taken that. I hate to see people suffer. I'm by no means perfect. But I ask him to help me to be able to lift, to put me in situations. And one thing I know about God is he'll help you. We never know what a simple interaction might do to someone. I've had little interactions people have said to me when I was going through a, you know, a period in my life when I wasn't able to take the sacrament a little while back. I was sitting there and I'm in church and like I, I don't have a tie on. I've got my cowboy boots, my jeans. I finally got my, my suit, but uh, you know, my, my beard was down to here. I don't look like a guy you probably want to ask, why aren't you taking the sacrament? <laughs> but one of my best friends, one of the sweetest men I know who has went through so much trauma, and I've worked with him for a long time, in situations that just baffle me, looked at me and said, why aren't you taking the sacrament? And I told him why. And he has been instrumental in this whole project with me. Wouldn't be possible without him, and he continues to be. 
he saw someone was hurting and he opened his mouth. In closing, there's, there's a story I had heard back on my mission. It was a seminary teacher and he was out at this thing called EFY and he was, uh, had this group of kids, right? And he shared a story with them that the Savior did for his disciples. You know, one night before he was crucified, he washed their feet. And in that culture and at that time, people didn't have shoes or had sandals and that was one of the greatest things you could do for people. Well, here's the Son of God washing his disciples' feet. And he said, guys, let's go throughout this thing. And they're, they're high schoolers and they got the girls that are excited, this and that. But let's, let's pray and let's ask God for someone we can help, someone we can wash their feet. So the last night they're at a dance and it's the culmination of the event. And, uh, you know, they're sitting outside and they're like, okay, we're going to sing the old Top Gun. You've lost that love and feeling to whoever comes out, right? And so they all get in a group. This gal comes out and one of the kids comes up to him and says, you've lost it. And her response is she looks like she's about ready to just give up. And then they start singing You've lost that love. And, and she gets emotional. And she said, you know, I've been here this whole week. And not one person has acknowledged me. And I told God before this dance tonight, if someone doesn't acknowledge me, I won't believe in you anymore. And then you guys sang to me. And one of the kids looked at him and said, we just washed her feet. Thanksgiving's coming up and then Christmas. Let's see whose feet we can wash. The best cure for loneliness and depression is to help someone else. And if there's one thing I know about the God of heaven, if you ask him who you can help, he will bring people to you. And as you start helping other people, you will start to lose some of your pain in the process. There are no trivial interactions. Every person has always existed. Every person is a literal son or daughter of the eternal God. These things we call coincidences and little interactions are not trivial. My late father taught me that concept and I certainly try my best uh, because I focus so much on someone when I meet them and talking to them. I'm not as good with their name. I'm getting better at remembering that. But no one is better than anyone else. We all have something different to do. But by saying hi to that person, by asking that person if they're okay, by sitting by that person at church, by talking to that homeless person, by smiling at that person, you may save a life this winter. This is a time to come together. It's a time to enjoy that connection. You know, whether you are with the family, this, or you're like me, or without. But I'm grateful 
that I've experienced and went through all this loneliness because it's taught me something. It's taught me how wonderful it is when I feel that authentic connection and I have a contrast and I'm always searching for it. I'm always looking for it. And it gives me a feeling that drugs, alcohol, women could never touch when two human beings get together and just genuinely connect. Well, thank you for tuning in today to this episode. Um, I finally put a little uh, YouTube, little clickable thing found out. I'm, I'm learning slowly on my link. If, if you like my episodes, if you want to follow it, you can click that and you'll be notified of future content. But for you guys that are um, struggling, that's really why I do this. That's why God's asked me to do it. I find the people that started in the cracks and then fell through. I'll do what I can with the limited amount of time I can to help as much as I can. This thing has kind of turned into a lot of a lot of people reaching out to me and me quickly having time to kind of talk and I just have a network of professionals, mental health professionals, life coaches, uh, you know, doctors, you know, alternative health practitioners. But he does energy work. I have all these modalities and methods of healing. Get help. Don't isolate. Find someone to reach out to. I hope everyone has a great Thanksgiving and a Merry Christmas. Thank you.